This episode of What's Tech is sponsored by the kind folks at Igloo. Anyone that's worked in a corporate environment knows how painful intranets can be. The content is stale, the interface is ugly, and you can't access it on your phone. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like because it's designed for the user. It gives you the flexibility to get your work done how you want to, where you want to, and on every device you'd like. Now, Igloo is truly building a product meant for 2015, not 1997. Looking at you, Angel Fire. It's built with easy-to-use apps like file sharing, calendars, social news feeds, and task management. Everything can be social with comments and like buttons, and anyone can add content based on their permissions with drag-and-drop widgets and a WYSIWYG editor. Go ahead, sign up at igloosoftware.com tech and get that free trial, and you'll get started today. So I got my start in journalism at the New York Observer, which is a small little paper that covers all the weird and wonderful characters that live in the city. And one of the people that I met as I was learning about the New York tech scene was this guy, Josh Harris, who became extremely wealthy during the dot-com boom. And he took the money that he made and he tried to create a future that he imagined where everybody would be live on camera all the time. And this was like the 90s. This sounds like today. This was the late 90s. And the technology wasn't totally there. I mean, you certainly couldn't do it mobile. You had to go into a studio that he built for a company called Sudo.com. And you could be a VJ and appear live. And he wanted to have, you know, hundreds or thousands of shows all the time with people who would just be the stars of their own reality. We're not a website. We're not a zine. We just want to provide our audience with an exciting net experience. And... This sort of climaxed uh, around the end of 1999. He built a capsule hotel underground in downtown Manhattan. And he invited hundreds of people to live there with him. And they filled the place with cameras and were streaming everything on the web. And people were eating and partying and making art and then having sex and pooping and taking showers all live. As time goes by, we're going to increasingly have our lives exposed in very personal and intimate ways. So, uh, and, and we'll want that to happen. It, it's not going to be forced upon us. We, we will allow it to happen because it will make our lives more, more fulfilling and gratifying and meaningful. And things got really weird. Like, there were these sort of Gestapo-style interrogations of people, trying to get them to reveal emotions. And it climaxed in this party, New Year's 1999, firing automatic weapons at a shooting range that he built down there, and the police came and broke the whole thing up. Subsequently, Josh Harris lived in an apartment with his girlfriend, again, filled with cameras, the whole thing live, and sort of lost his mind and lost his fortune for everyone to see. So, yeah, that's the history of live streaming as I came to know it. We're going to lose all of our money and be utterly f***ed. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, doomed for the kids. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a parable for the modern age. It's a story with a moral. You don't, not everybody should be the star of their own reality show. Hello, 
and welcome to What's Tech, a podcast by The Verge. It's a show where we explain technology one subject at a time. I'm your host, Christopher Thomas Plant, and today I am joined by my pal Ben Popper, who is an expert on live streaming, which we're going to learn about. Uh, and we're going to start with a big, obvious question What is live streaming? In my mind, live streaming is broadcasting live video uh, onto the internet. And that is more interesting when we're talking about broadcasting yourself, an individual human being. You're the one, you're sort of the broadcaster and the subject. I mean, you could say like, what's live streaming? It's live streaming a baseball game. I think that was the first like uh, broadcast from real networks in the 90s was like, here's a baseball game, which is fine, but you're just sort of doing what you would do on television. on the internet. So when I think of live streaming, I think of people who normally don't get to be broadcasters getting that ability and doing it themselves. When did companies start getting into this form of live streaming, this idea of making it so that people could use technology the way, uh, you know, your local newscast would be used uh, uh, as almost a vanity project? Right. I mean, I guess you could say like the cable access networks, you know, kind of had this, the local channel where it's like anybody can grab a little slot of time and like... For people who don't live in New York, we have a, a, a cable access network that has everything from like, oh, I've played these video games and it's run by like a male porn star to, uh, I guess this all features porn, uh, a show called The Robin Bird Show, which is like, I think was recorded in 1982 and just repeats every Saturday night. <laughs> it's just this, the really the strangest like sex call-in show uh, that you could possibly imagine. Right. So I guess in my mind, you know, this may not be the right definition, but I think of it as something that is amateur, you know, occasionally verging into semi-professional. But it's not something that's overly produced. It's not something with a big staff. It's not something with a company behind it. It's one person, you know, broadcasting themselves out to the world with sort of minimal equipment. Um And the history that I know starting in the 90s was that people were super interested in this. They saw it as the feature. They wrote papers about it. They had parties about it. They created companies around it. But it didn't take off because most people didn't have very, didn't have great internet connections. Uh, You know, it couldn't be spontaneous the way it can be now with a mobile phone in your pocket. It just didn't click, you know? Let's talk about one of those companies because I remember on, oh, what was that, the, the computers that came in, they looked like cow boxes. <laughs> Do you remember these? Yeah, Dell. Del, no, was that Dell? I yeah. thought that was, oh, whatever. Oh, my God. They're, gateways. That's what it was. It was gateways. Gateway computers. Uh, whenever our family got like a, a gateway, it had real player installed on it and like we couldn't get rid of it. And it would be like, it would promise the future. You would open a real player and be like, hey, watch this uh, presidential address and then watch this live concert from uh, Paris and then watch this cricket game from London. It's like, oh, man, all this sounds great. And then I would click it and I would maybe see, like, a broken image and nothing else. Um, but but from what I could tell, they they were the big shots in the live streaming game for a while. Yeah, so I think your experience is kind of the perfect, you know, analogy for what we're hitting now with the mobile space, which is like this minimal viable product, right? Like it worked, but barely. And you could have big aspirations, but you were kind of held back by the technology. 
And now we've gotten to the point where on the desktop, people can do all kinds of amazing things. And we do watch presidential debates and the Super Bowl and not the Super Bowl, but we watch sports and concerts and stuff live. And there's no hiccup. Millions of people around the world. With our mobile phones, we're just getting to the point where like I pull it up, I start streaming, you tune in. And then you see like a sweaty forehead and it freezes and we lose the stream. But it could, it almost worked. Sometimes it works. Well, why, why did that fail? Like, I mean, Real, Real Networks seemed like a huge company. Uh, I know Windows or Microsoft was very interested in streaming technology back in the day. Was it just the, the data connection? Was it the encoders? Well, I mean, like, I don't think that most people had all the equipment, right? Like, it, there weren't great cameras or cameras at all in a lot of the computers you were buying. And, you know, it was time-consuming and expensive. Like, you know, when I had a computer like that, we had one phone line in my family. So if somebody was online, like, I couldn't be doing that. You know, there were certainly people who did broadcast, but it wasn't enough to build a business around, or a meaningful business. Around when did live streaming start catching on in this in this recent uh Phase, I guess. If this is phase two right. of, of live streaming, what kind of brought it back? I think this is phase three. I think phase two is companies like like Justin TV. So sure. this guy Justin Kahn in San Francisco strapped like a camera to his head and you know wanted to be on online twenty four seven. And he did that for a while, and it was kind of this gimmick, and people were interested in him. And then Justin TV allowed anybody to do that. And it grew, but the growth wasn't great, except in this one area, gaming. And so the company pivoted to focus just on that. And the gaming channel, Twitch.tv, you know, ate Justin TV and took it over. They literally renamed the company and then sold to Amazon for, you know, roughly a billion dollars. So in that one vertical, they finally made it work in that big way that people have always dreamed about, you know. Millions of people all over the planet being broadcasters and watching broadcasters and paying to watch somebody sit in their living room and talk to you about something that's kind of mundane, playing video games. It's strange to me that we haven't seen anything quite like that in mobile space. We, we have seen this rush for Periscope versus Meerkat happening right now, which are both these live streaming video apps that work with or integrate with Twitter. Uh, but... I'm I'm constantly shocked with how popular mobile games are and the fact that you have a front-facing camera and a mic on the device and there isn't really a solid app for streaming any of these games. Is there a reason? Is that, again, it seems like so much of this is just technical barriers uh, being in the way of kind of what we know will work but not how it will work. So you're talking about doing a Twitch stream live from your phone. Yeah, like if I'm playing uh, Clash of Clans on my phone and the camera's facing me and I can talk into at my phone and they can see that game also, why is that not happening? That sounds like an amazing idea. I've never tried to use Twitch on mobile. Maybe you can, but there's no reason why you shouldn't just go start that company right now. Guys, I've made a huge mistake putting this on a podcast. We are going to be filthy rich. You know, the stuff that went on with Justin TV moving into Twitch validated the space in a big way, but I think also gave people a model that they didn't have before. So what you see now is companies like Ustream, which I wrote about recently. They have very closely copied that Twitch model. There's a live broadcaster 
most cases, not doing anything particularly interesting, just a person who's the star of their own life. But the chat room that's next to it and the ability to give money to the broadcaster and then have them pay attention to you is really addictive for both sides. And that's, I think, what Twitch taught people was how you could create a business around it. There's a very sort of unique, you know, like social and economic set of motivations that work for live streaming. Uh, I didn't even have this in the notes, but what about sex live streaming? Because that seems like the other thing that has become like a huge business. I know that movie Cam Girls came out right. on Vimeo recently, and it's a documentary about all of this. But is is that another industry that is just taking advantage of this kind of quietly, or at least not quietly, but away from mainstream attention? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a huge parallel there, which is that, um, you know, you're paying for attention, right? Like in, in those Cam Girl situations, a lot of times, you know, you'll pay to have them speak to you or do a certain thing. Um, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time in that world, but in, in talking to people about you now, it did seem like that, that was sort of the PG version of cam girls. You know, there was a lot of similarities between it in that it was clear most of the people watching often had a crush on the person. Like they would watch them sleep and talk and the commenters would talk to each other about how cute they were and when, when were they going to wake up and what would they have for breakfast? Wow. Yeah. Um, can you can you explain Periscope and Meerkat for people who are are new to both of these? Because they they both are still pretty fresh. Yeah. So I think about a month ago, this app Meerkat um, debuted, and it ended up on Product Hunt, which is kind of like a uh, trend spotting site. And so it hit the top of that, and from there exploded out into like um, celebrities and people in tech, influencers in tech and media using it. So it got a ton of attention and hype and literally thousands of articles written about it. But the basic idea is you open it and with one, you know, press of a button, you start streaming. Drop dead simple. The same way lots of other apps have succeeded, you know, with photos. Um, And what we see now is sort of the correction, like I'm writing about this, but Meerkat over the last couple of weeks, you know, really rocketed up the charts in the app store and then really fell off a cliff. Like the hype passed the traction that it actually had among people. Um, and also the arrival of Periscope, you know, Twitter is the distribution platform for both of these. There are sort of identical apps. You open them up, you see a bunch of streams, you could watch any of them, or you could broadcast. Um, and so now they're competing uh, for people's attention on Twitter. Oh, and another reason I think it works is because you know, we have these phones with great cameras, we have good enough data connections, but we have like a robust real-time social network that is Twitter. And that's kind of the distribution model for now. It's it's so strange seeing this because I signed on to Periscope last night and there was nothing to watch. I Like the two things I saw was some, like, well, a lot of people watching the roast of Justin Bieber and they were stealing it because they're just showing it on the stream, which is going to cause a whole bunch of headaches for people. And then some woman walking her dog in San Francisco. And I watched it ten, for 10 minutes. I was bored the entire time. And at the end, I only stopped because I was like, what the hell am I doing? Right. Like, and all these other people are watching it. How many other people were There were like 100 it? people watching this This woman thing. walk her dog. This woman walk uh, like a, a cute dog in San Francisco. And the video didn't even look good. The video looked blurry. Like you could, I mean, you could tell what it was, but... It definitely was a throwback to those old days of 
Yeah, I guess that kind of works. So did you, was she giving a play-by-play? Not really. <laughs> it was just like she clearly didn't really want to talk to herself. Right. See, I mean, it's really strange to think about the kind of mise-en-scene of, yeah. of Periscope. I mean, I think we're in this embryonic stage for the mobile stuff where people don't know what to do and they don't know what's interesting and the services don't know how to show us what to look at. You know, like that was, I mean, it's very much the same thing as Twitter. When Twitter first came out, people were like, why do I care what you're having for breakfast or, you know, that you're looking at a sunset like this doesn't interest me. And now lots of hundreds of millions of people use Twitter. And when you sign up for the service, they're very good at showing you, oh, well, you like sports and technology might want to follow person X, Y, and Z. And so in the future, when you open up Periscope, it will show you streams that, you know, have hundreds of people watching and, you know, hopefully will be interesting to you. And the people who are performing will understand what's, you know, captivating. And they'll, I mean, I'm basing this on Ustream, which is a pretty successful site. And when you go there, the people have very set schedules. They broadcast the same time every day. They broadcast for many, many hours in a row. And they know exactly what they are there to do. Like there's no confusion about why they're there. And so I think it'll be like Twitter where, you know, one to two percent of the people create most of the content. You know, 10 percent of the people sort of participate in that. And 90 percent of the people just lurk in the background and watch. I just think it's funny that high school theater classes are going to be more valuable than they've ever been. <laughs> like, learning how to project and entertain. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to talk about influences uh, in, in kind of a strange way. Uh, it's no secret that reality television has blown up since that kind of first phase of uh, live streaming. And it's not, it, it existed then, but not in the capacity that it does now. They still had the artifice of games like Survivor where, yeah, it's reality, but we have a game here. It, it, the show's still about something. Um, we've been in the Seinfeld era of reality television forever of well, this isn't really about anything. They go and get a cake today. Um, how much do you think live streaming informed reality television? And kind of going backwards, how much is reality television informing how we perform on Periscope? So I think it's possible that, you know, those early days of live streaming in the 90s influenced people who were, you know, then going on to produce these, you know, early reality television series. But I think you're right that the bigger impact has been the idea of a normal person having a personal brand and their everyday life being a narrative that's interesting, that is what the kids who are doing this stuff learn from and understand intuitively. And that's why they are eager to watch one another and perform for one another. They have internalized that, you know, Kardashian family idea that just you and the people around you are characters who anybody might be interested to watch. Like, that's yeah. not such a crazy idea. And there doesn't have to be great, you know, uh, production or effects or narrative. There's just um, intimacy. I mean, that was the real thing that I learned watching you now. It's like, the more intimate it was, the more people, you know, were desperate to hang out and get closer to that person. Obviously, Periscope and Meerkat will work when it's a celebrity driving a fast car or somebody at an exciting, exciting sports event or something like that. But the real question is like, how does it work every day, all the time, for everybody? And should it should should it work? Yeah. Do we want to live in that world? What does this do to a kid who is raised on this? Not not in the, like the like you know like crazy like ah oh, the video games are going to make them kill everybody, um, but more in the sense of 
this is a totally new medium, essentially. I mean, we we had TV and, and, and film, and they were all kind of similar. And we had reality television that was bending that. But now there is a generation that is being raised on an art form that is essentially a new art form. Does, does it affect, And it's an art form that, that blurs fiction and reality. Does it have an effect on people, do you think? I'm sure it does. I mean, you know, I... Th- when I was talking to these kids who do this live broadcasting all the time, they said that, you know, they feel it's all about being upbeat, doing the cinnamon challenge or doing a backflip or setting off firecrackers or having a good time. But, you know, the reality is that it's super stressful for them and that the people who come to watch them want to vent the darkest stuff about their own lives to them. So they'll start out on a live stream watching each other, but then they'll connect on Instagram or kick Snapchat, and they'll start having real conversations where they'll give them their phone number and text back and forth. And that's when, you know, the fans start pouring out their like real sorrow and tragedy. And the people who are like the stars of the show have to become their therapists and counselors. And they're not (laughs) equipped or prepared to do that, but they've been trying. I mean, they call it fan service. They like get on the phone with these people and try to be their friend because those people feel that they're their friends. Man, we've really had a streak of ending these episodes on really depressing notes. <laughs> Sorry, we we can keep going and and end on some other note. I mean, let, yeah, let, let, let's talk about what is what is the the, the <laughs> this is just like falling into the trap. What's the peppiest stream you've right. ever seen? Well, I mean, what do you what do you watch? Let's end on that. No, I mean, um, so I watch a lot of Twitch, um, and I watch a lot of Hearthstone on Twitch. You know that that yeah. about me. Um, I'm not revealing anything that not, hasn't already been said on these podcasts, and it's, it's not so embarrassing. No. But um, I find that the times I'm, like, laughing the hardest most days is when something really, like, crazy, unlucky or lucky happens to someone in a stream, and they're, like, laughing really hard, you know, and, like, somehow that, like, joy is reflected back on me, and, like, I experience it. And so, like, you know, laughing is, like, this really cathartic thing, And, um, you know, it's not like we all joke around and laugh at the office, but I often find like, strangely enough, I'm like home after I put the kids to sleep and done the dishes, like watching a Twitch stream and somebody's laughing and I just start like laughing like crazy. And my wife thinks like, what are you doing? But, you know, there, there's just a bond from that happens during live streaming that, you know, you can't replicate. Yeah. Cool. I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you for joining me. Sure. And thank you for listening. Uh, This has been another episode of What's Tech. You can find us on iTunes. Just search for What's Tech. Uh, While you're there, subscribe and leave a review. Uh, It goes a long, long, long way for us. You can find more of our stuff on TheVerge.com. You can find us on Twitter at What's Tech. You can find us on Snapchat at The Real Verge. So if you want to know more about Josh Harris, uh, the guy we talked about up top, you might want to watch We Live in Public. It's a pretty awesome documentary. It used to be streaming on Netflix, but I think it's disc only right now. And thank you to John, who produces this show and makes it sound amazing. He's the best. Uh, until next time, we'll see you later. Bye.